good to be back with you. Uh, I, I hope that I love being able to come here. So I always try to make this work if I get invited to come back. But I hope you don't start to make a connection with me and Richard bad health issues. <laughs> yeah. We'll trust God will maybe protect us all from that. You won't affiliate me with all of that. Uh, but um, but I have been grateful to be able to come and, and serve and, and be able to be with you again. Not only when when unexpected health issues uh, come into in your in your pastor's life, but also just the opportunity to come back and, and be with you. Say thank you for your partnership with us as a ministry. Uh, very thankful for Bloomfield Baptist Church and uh, many of you. So thanks for having me. And uh, I would like to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. It's towards the end of the New Testament. So keep turning towards the back. Eventually find Hebrews, find chapter 4. Before I read the passage, I'd like to ask you to think about with me some of the great movie trilogies that you might be thinking about. Maybe what your favorite is. Trilogy, so you know, the, the three movies that kind of fit together in a, in a sequence. You know, I'm thinking about the, the three, uh, the, I would say the, the classic Star Wars movies, the first three that I grew up on, at least. Uh, things like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, the, the Rocky movies, at least before they lost their way and probably did too many. Different sermon, but think about those trilogies. Think about what you maybe appreciate about them. Because what all of these classic trilogies have is a middle movie that kind of pieces it all together. And without that middle movie, you kind of feel lost in what the the storyline is. I mean, could you imagine watching the first Star Wars, skipping Empire Strikes Back, and just go to Return of the Jedi? I mean, can you even do that in this country? I mean, that's... That, that would be a terrible thing. You'd, have, you'd be totally lost. What if you just skipped over the, the two towers in the Lord of the Rings trilogy? And I got to tell you, I mean, if you skip Rocky 2 to go to Rocky 3, I'm not sure we can, <laughs> we can have a conversation about that. We figure out what that middle movie does. It fits it together. It answers questions from the first movie. Then it also sets you up to understand what happens in the final movie where usually everything comes together. I share this with you because our passage we're going to read in a moment this morning is one of the most important passages in all the book of Hebrews because it serves as that that middle movie. It serves as that thing that connects what's been said in Hebrews up to that point, but then it also sets up all that's going to happen in the book of Hebrews after that. So if you're not as familiar with the book of Hebrews, I would encourage you to go read it in full this, this afternoon when you're home. It is a glorious book. And I picked this passage because it is one of the most significant in Hebrews, and I think one of the most encouraging for us uh, as Christians, because the book of Hebrews is written to discouraged and struggling Christians who are tempted to to fall away. They're asking the question, is is Jesus worth all of this and all the things that they were wrestling with? I think we're going to find, though, in this passage we're going to read this morning, that it highlights not only is Jesus worth it, but it shows how it connects all the books together. So if you would, uh, stand with me uh, as I read for us Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read three verses, 
14 through 16, if you'll follow along with me. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and ask God's help. Lord, would you come in the power of your spirit, open our minds, our eyes, our ears to hear from you today. Remind us of your great truth. Remind us of our great King and High Priest, Jesus, and help us to fix our eyes on him today. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The reason I want to encourage you to go read the whole book of Hebrews, which is 13 chapters, you probably sit and, and read it in, you know, 20, 30 minutes. The reason I would encourage you to do that is this passage is going to connect both sides to this. But let me give you a quick summary on what this passage is connecting. The first really four chapters of Hebrews, really Hebrews 3 and 4, talks about our confession or our belief, what we hold to, what the truth of gospel really is. And the writer of Hebrews is, is describing this first. Remember, trying to help these discouraged and struggling Christians, how do you persevere in your faith? And he's reminding them about what he calls the confession. That's what we believe. Every Most churches, including this church, has some kind of statement of faith. This is what we believe. We believe that God's word describes this as truth, and that's what we hold to as a church. And that's really what the writer is doing in the first four chapters of, of Hebrews. What do we believe? But then, after that, Hebrews 5 on points to Jesus and describes him as, as a great high priest. And it, and it describes this heavenly ministry that Jesus has. The writer of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is better than all of these other things that they had looked to in Judaism. Many of them were, were Jews who had become Christians, but they were tempted to go back to their old ways of Judaism. And the writer is saying, don't go back. Jesus is better. He's better than all the things that you left behind. So the rest of Hebrews from this passage then points to the ministry of Jesus, our great high priest. So I also want to take a moment and describe what, what does it mean to, for Jesus to be our great high priest. Remember, the high priest in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the tabernacle, the temple, the high priest was the one that went into the, to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God on behalf of all the people, and went in there and, and made sacrifices and communed with God and was the, the go-between, the mediator between the people who were sinners and could not go into the, to the presence of God to be able to interact with God, to be able to be in his presence. And the high priest is the one on behalf of the people that went into that place. But Jesus is the one that has done that for us. So the writer of Hebrews calls him the great high priest. It's not a temple made with hands. It's in the heavenly temple. 
that he actually allows us as the mediator between us and God to be able to allow us to go into the presence of God. So when he says he's the great high priest, he's the one that mediates that for us. And that's what he means when he says that Jesus is the great high priest. And from this, we see because Jesus is the great high priest, there's two things that the writer of Hebrews calls these Christians to do and I think even us today. So I encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write some of these things down. I think you'll have points on the screen as well. Because Jesus is our great high priest, the one that mediates between us and God, number one, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. We, we must start with our faith. And I want you to notice, in both of these things we're to do, the writer says, let us do this, or let us do that. Who's the us? It's the corporate nature of these things that we're to do. You know, you're not supposed to walk the Christian life alone. You're supposed to do it with others. Others who believe the same as you. Others who want to try to live the same way as you. And so it says, let us hold fast our confession. What we hold to, what we believe, is ultimately going to reflect how we live our life. What we live for, and it's going to determine what we, what we die for. And since these struggling and discouraged Christians, they were being tempted to abandon Christ and go back to Judaism, he starts here. He starts here to, as, as he concludes one section to then move to the other. And I want you to notice verse 14 is the confession he's talking about. Notice that with me. Very plain, verse 14. Jesus is our great high priest and is the son of God who has passed through the heavens. And it's upon this confession, this truth, this belief, really, of what is true, that we can hold fast our confession. And so there, there, there are two reasons I see here. Jesus is able to be our great high priest as the Son of God, as the long-awaited Messiah. Two reasons Jesus is able to do this. Number one, because Jesus is God. And I want you to notice that in verse 14, and in a couple places in this passage, it points to Jesus being God. One of the key doctrines of the, of the church and about Jesus is he is fully God, and yet he is fully man also. And that is really important. In fact, a lot of the early church heresies that came out was challenging this idea, which is why so many of the early confessions, if you read some of those, emphasize this so clearly. Jesus is fully God, and yet he is fully man. And this passage, for those who are wanting to know, this is one of the best passages to go to, to show to somebody that he is both. And I want you to see it here. Look at verse 14. It says he, he passed through the heavens, that only God can do what he did, and pass through the heavens to come to earth. Look down at verse 15. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Only God, only the Son of God is sinless. It's one of the things that makes Jesus so unique from any other human being on the planet. Those of you who talk to people who want to challenge Christianity and even want to argue for another religion, this is one of the many things that sets Jesus apart from everybody else. He, he never sinned. And only the Son of God who never sinned can then qualify to be the great high priest. He has access 
to the throne of grace that we cannot have on our own. So we need him. He must be God to be able to have access to the throne of grace, to be able to help us have access to it. Jesus is God. That's an incredibly important part of our confession, what we believe. But here's a second piece, because Jesus is man. We can hold fast to our confession because he's also fully human. And by the way, I think this is the one we don't focus on as much. I think we love to focus on Jesus being God, and rightfully so. But did you know it's equally important as part of our confession, part of our faith, that Jesus is actually man, fully human? I'm going to show you why. Look down at verse 15. He says, it says he is a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. How is it that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses? Because he is fully human, just like us. See, he went through all the things we go through. He went through them all. All the struggles, all the temptations, all the experiences we have as human beings. That's a helpful passage we heard read a few moments ago by Jacob. It shows Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry and tempted, just like we are, and yet was without sin. So Jesus was like us, and that qualifies him to be the high priest also for us. So because Jesus is who we believe he is, because Jesus did what this confession claims, we can then hold fast to our confession. And it's one of those things that we can hold fast to our confession regardless on the consequences that come from it. Let us hold fast to our confession. That is the first thing we can do and that the writer of Hebrews calls us to do because Jesus is the great high priest. Secondly, though, because Jesus is our great high priest, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to the throne of grace. Again, the, you notice the let us, the corporate element of this, doing this together. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, we now have access to the throne of grace. And the exhortation I want you to notice in this passage is to draw near to it, to draw near to it. In other words, it is no longer, for those of us who are in Jesus, a throne of wrath, which is what Hebrews 3 and 4 leading up to it describes. Because of Jesus, it is now a throne of grace. And we, even sinners, can draw near to it. There's two ways this passage describes how we should draw near to this, to this throne of grace. The first way is to do it with confidence. With confidence. I want you to notice the flow of the passage. Look down at verse 14 with me. And in the last bit of 14, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. Let us then hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. 
We're told not just to draw near, as if we have access now because of Jesus, but just do it with confidence. A place that we have no business being able to go to as a sinner, we actually can go to in confidence. I mean, do you, do you realize what a scandalous exhortation this would have been to a Jew who understood all those Old Testament aspects to approaching God's throne? And the writer said, you can draw near, not just draw near, you can draw near anytime, and you draw near with the utmost confidence. Because in the previous chapter, we see that wrath is the cause of the, what brings from disobedience. To God's throne that's described here, that the Jews would have known from the Old Testament, it was a, it was a place of Wrath that sinners need to run from, but cannot run from. But because of Jesus, now it says we can draw near to a throne of grace, but with confidence. So the confession, which notices in verses 14 and 15, is what allows us to be able to draw near to God's presence with confidence. We draw near with confidence, but the second way, we, we draw near with compassion. We draw near with confidence because compassion, we're told, is going to wait for us at the throne. We're going to be met with compassion, mercy, and grace. And that's why we can go with confidence. Do you realize that most of these Jewish Christians would have, they would have seen this as quite the opposite? This is turning their understanding of God's presence and his throne all the way on its head. How can I go with confidence and I'm actually going to be met with compassion? Look at verse 16. We draw near that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This throne that was once brought wrath upon sinners it's now a place of mercy, of grace. You did not flip the script of this, of this confession and this story by simply living a good life. You and I didn't just change God's mind. That's not how this works. Jesus, as our high priest and the Son of God, appeased God's wrath when he died on the cross as a, as a perfect, sinless man. So that, that element of him being God and fully man is so important because he was the sufficient sacrifice to die for us. And then he rose from the grave three days later to vindicate that work so that all who would ever come to him in faith and trust in him would have eternal and forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> Only Jesus can make the throne of God full of compassion for sinners. Jesus is the only one. And it is that throne. We come through him. We can come with confidence to the throne of grace, and we will, can expect compassion. That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. That's the good news. That though we should have no business coming to this throne, and if we do, it's going to be a throne of wrath. We, 
we can come with confidence and expect compassion. So I have a couple of questions I'd like to reflect on in light of this. What does this mean for us? How do we how do we respond? How do we respond to these imperatives? Let us do these two things. I have two questions I want to pose to you and try to get a little practical with you. How do we walk in these exhortations that are so clear from the book of Hebrews? Number one, the first question is, how do we hold fast into our confession? How do we hold fast to our confession? Three things I want to give you. Take a note. I encourage you to write these down. <clears throat> cling to the Word of God. Number one, cling to the Word of God. It is no accident that this past that the passage before this describes God's Word as living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word is living and active. The truth and the reliability of God's Word is how we can hold fast to this confession is indeed true. And without it, without the truth, we have nothing to stand on. So read it, study it, know it, meditate on it, hold fast to this word. It's what tells us what's true. And it tells us what to live for, and it tells us what to die for. Cling to it. The second way we hold fast to our confession. Believe what is true. Believe what is true. Remember the Christians receiving this letter, they, they knew what the truth was, but because of the suffering, because of the difficulties in the world, they were, they were tempted to not believe it or tempted to think it's not worth it. I wonder today if some of you might be tempted in that same way. To not believe maybe what God's word says. Or that maybe your heart and mind are so consumed with the difficulties and sufferings that you face that it's hard to find hope in these things. Hope in, in the fact that it says Jesus is our great high priest. He's the son of God. And he sympathizes with our weakness. Some of you might not be able to, to grasp that God would fully accept you in all of your sins and all of your messiness of your life because it's so bad. Faith is believing what we cannot see but we know to be true. And this passage reminds us what is true. Believe what is true. Hold fast to it. And it is a measure of faith that tells us what is true. Number three, how, how do we hold fast to our confession? The third thing Hold on to each other. Hold on to each other. One of the best ways to hold fast to what we believe is to hold fast to others who believe the same thing that you do. I think that's one of the many blessings of the local church is that we have people around us and in our lives that we gather with regularly to affirm we believe the same truth. And in a world that is becoming more and more declaring their own truth, we have to stand on what is really true with each other. See, many of you, many of you work in harsh, 
<clears throat> excuse me, harsh, God-hating working environments every day. You're going to go back into that tomorrow. This is why this is so important to gather together like this. You have a time every week even to remember what's true and to remember you're not on an island by yourself believing that there are other people who believe the same thing as you. Hold on to each other. Rely on each other in those ways. It's one of the ways we can hold fast to our confession. And when you start to doubt, rely on those who have a great confidence in those things. So I want to ask you, who do you hold on to here? As we said, this is one of the reasons a Christian's life is to not be lived alone. I want you to think of this person, even the name of someone. Who is it that you hold on to? Who is it that you go to when I'm doubting? I'm doubting God's at work. I'm not seeing God at work in my life. I'm struggling with believing these truths. Where's the safe place you can go to and share that with somebody and let them minister grace to you and meet you where you are and encourage you? Hold on to each other. That is one of the ways we hold fast to this confession of what is true. Second question I want to also go to is how do we draw near with confidence it's connected to the other imperative so how do we draw near with confidence to this throne of grace i have three things i want to share with you here <clears throat> number one go just as you are just go as you are those of you who are married will be able to relate to this you remember the you remember the first time you ever you met your in-law? And all of us have different experiences around this, but you know, you probably thought a lot about how am I dressed and how am I going to present myself? And you were really careful with you know the words you spoke and how am I going to act around them so that they and we do all this what so we'll make a good first impression and so we'll we'll be accepted by them. You know, I think. We need to do, a lot of us think we need to do that with God. Before I can go to the throne of grace, I, I got to clean up. I got to do some things right. Got to make sure I'm not struggling really bad. And I Because I want to make a good impression. It's gone. And we think we have to draw near to his throne. Because of that, I mean, after all, it, 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 it was at one time a throne of wrath for everyone. If we aren't clean enough, and we think we're not clean enough to come to the throne of grace, you know what we do? We run from it. We don't draw near to it. We certainly don't draw near to it with confidence. This was my struggle, actually, for many years as a Christian. I believed these things. I believed them to be true. <clears throat> but my own guilt and shame about my life, I just had trouble going to that throne without having to clean myself up a bit. See, I applied these principles I pretty much have with my in-law, meaning my in-laws and all other relationships that I, I'm not going to be fully loved and accepted if I don't clean myself up and present them. And I, I ran from the throne of grace, sadly, and did not receive grace when it was there for me. All I had to do is just go to it. 
eventually learned that that's what I was doing. And I wonder if some of you struggle in the same way. We, we think we got to get some things right, be in a better place before we actually approach God. <clears throat> you know that a lot of times we don't pray because we don't feel worthy of his presence. We don't pray. We don't go to the throne of grace. Those are two messages. But I want you to see, friends, the writer is clear here. We are called to draw near with confidence, not at all because of anything we do. But Jesus has provided the access for us. So we, we do nothing to remove that. So we just need to, to go. Go as you are. Draw near to the throne of grace. Because it says to receive grace and mercy in time of need. Isn't it ironic? In our greatest need, we don't go. When that's the very reason we're supposed to go to the throne of grace. So I want to encourage you this, this morning. Just go. Go in all your struggles. Go in all your sins and your messy life. And you know what? I believe confidently God can handle this. God can handle your most messy life. He wants to minister grace to you through the blood of Christ. So go as you are. That's how we draw near with confidence. Number two, know who Jesus is. That's how another reason we draw near with confidence. If we believe it's Jesus that makes us worthy by faith and it allows us to draw near and to be met with mercy in the midst of our messy life, we will be bold to draw near. We'll realize that's where I've got to go. But if we don't believe Jesus is able to do all of that, we will flee. We will run. But we know who Jesus is and that it's he alone that is our great high priest who is the only one who provides this access to God through faith. Then we will draw near, and I dare say we would draw near with confidence. So know who Jesus is. Confidence in him being able to do what he says he does is what allows us to be able to draw near with confidence. Last one, number three. How do we draw near with confidence? We rely upon his grace. Simply rely upon his grace. If we think our salvation and drawing near to God is, is all based on our works and our effort, we will never draw near. We certainly will not draw near with confidence because we all know we're still sinners and we struggle with sin. We constantly live with the weight that, that we don't measure up. And, and if I'm to be honest with you, that still bugs me because I want to do things right. I, I want to measure up. But if it's grace that we rely on, then we know it's not based on our merit, it's based on Jesus' merit. And that's what the good news is. And since Jesus doesn't change, and since this Confession described a finished work that has taken place that cannot be undone. We are able to draw near with his constant righteousness being given to us through faith, and we stand in confidence in his righteousness because of him. His life, his death, his resurrection has secured for us eternal right standing with God, and you messing up tomorrow does not change that at all. 
So let us hold fast our confession, friends. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? Well, because we're supposed to, and the Hebrews tells us to. Now, that's not why we draw near. We, we draw near. Look down at verse 16. The reason's given there. <clears throat> so that we might find mercy and grace in time of need. What is your need today? Think about what that is. Even have it in your mind. Have something tangible. What's your need? What do you need from God? Are you hurting? Are you alone? Are you anxious and afraid? Are you sad and grieving? Or maybe you're just, just outright exhausted from the grind of life. Struggling with that same sin over and over again. You're tempted to think Jesus is not worth it, maybe. Just like the, the those receiving this letter. What, what is your greatest need? That maybe you're hesitant to bring to the throne of grace. Hold fast who Jesus is. Draw near to God's presence for us in Christ. It's a throne of grace. And it is there specifically for us to draw near with confidence and find mercy. And find grace. Help in your time of need. If you have a need today, you realize that this is where you are today. And you will be met. In Christ, you will be met with complete mercy and grace. So let us go there. Let's stay there. And let's hold on to each other as we go do that together. Let's pray together.